Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when you're there, stand with me, and we're going to read the word this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul, in prison, passing the baton of ministry to Timothy, here says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins that led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it, in particular, these nine verses that define for us what last day's living will look like. And so, as we look around, we see much of these things. We see these things. And for some reason, we're surprised and yet you've made the declaration, not just here, but multiple places in Scripture, the kind of days that we will see. I pray, Father, that you encourage us this morning to not cower to the culture, Lord, but to stand strong and to be who you called us to be in these days. You're writing, this, this, Paul is writing to Timothy here to encourage him to stay the course. May you solidify that in our hearts this morning if we're wavering, Lord. Will you draw us to yourself? Will you speak into our lives? We give you full right, Lord, to come on in and do whatever you need to do inside of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys grew up, you know, in a household that loved movies? Anybody like love movies. Anybody, anybody like just love movies? So I grew up in a household where we were like major movie fans. So my parents would go to video library, VHS, you know what I'm talking about, and they would rent like three to five movies at a time. Stacks of movies they'd come home with. Not only would we watch the movies, but we would also record them. So we would have the dual VHS recording situation going on and my parents would record them and then you know it didn't stop there folks I know this is getting crazy but then we would catalog all of these movies we'd had hundreds and hundreds of movies catalog them in a notebook number system with whatever movie and not only that, then our family extended family would come over 
And they're like, hey, can we borrow some movies? And they would go through the book, and they would like, oh, I want to watch this, this, and this. And they would, we would literally write it all down. We, we only charged them a marginal. No, we didn't charge them anything, but, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it just, it was an amazing system that my parents put together, and, and <laughs> we, we just loved movies. But one of the eras that I really loved um, was the kind of the middle Middle Ages, you know, the late Middle Ages period of time. I love that era of, of movies, you know, Clash of the Titans and, and um, you know, Troy, Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. I love those, those middle, middle, uh, middle age kind of movies. I also loved to watch Wild Wild West movies. I love to look at the Wild Wild West, look at the, the stuff that was going on in that. Whatever reason, I had an infatuation with those eras, both of them. And, you know, I, I, I thought often about, as we do, daydreaming about what would it be like to live in that era? How fun would that be? That would be so cool. Dude, I'm running around with this gigantic sword, you know, and on a huge horse with armor on, you know, and, and, and I'm the gladiator. And no, not really, but, or, or you know, I'm, I got the six shooters on my sides and I'm blazing the trail with Emilio Estevez and young guns and stuff like that. I mean... But here's the thing, we, we, we fantasize about those sorts of things, but that's not reality. And in fact, it was nothing like that, probably. I mean, do you know just in those eras how difficult life was? So difficult, even to do the minutest little thing, to take a bath in both of those era, tons of work. You know, to, to, to do your dishes, to even rustle up some food. These things were not easy. Sometimes we have an infatuated view with certain periods of time or eras of time not really considering reality. And I think that some people have an infatuated view of the last days. Not fully comprehending exactly what it is going to be like. God doesn't want us to be in the dark relating to the last days. He wants you and I to understand uh, what those days will look like. Lest we have a romanticized view about the last days. That's what we're going to talk about today. Living in the last days. That's the title of my message this morning. What is the last days? What is he talking about when he says the last days? days. This is a reference to a specific era, a specific time period in the history of the world. The best way that I think I can explain it to you is to explain to you this thing called dispensationalism. Dispensationalism, what is that? That means a period of time. It's a term that represents specific eras or specific periods of time that God was reaching out to man. And there are different ideas about dispensations and, and how many there are. Some believe there's three. Some believe there's eight or more. I particularly like the very basic understanding of dispensationalism, which there's seven periods of time, seven ages in which God reached out to man. We have the age of innocence, which starts from creation and ends at the fall. We have the age of conscience, which starts from the fall and ends with the flood. 
We have the age of human government, which starts at the flood and ends with the Tower of Babel. We have the age of promise, which starts with Abraham and ends with the Exodus. We have the age of law that starts with the Exodus and leads to the day of Pentecost, where the church was established, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, his people, and they were deployed into the world, which started what is called the age of grace, or the church age, or the last days. That's the time period. And then, uh, you know, some people, this is where people differ. Some believe that the age of grace, or the last days, or the church age, all the same thing, uh, you know, start from the birth of Jesus. Some believe that it starts with the baptism of Jesus when he starts his ministry. Some believe uh, that it starts with Pentecost. And, you know, some believe that the rapture is the end of that age, pre-tribulation rapture, and they put the tribulation period in its own age, which is the age of wrath. I don't really consider seven years an age. I believe it's, and, and by the way, I believe that the tribulation period is God's last-ditch effort to reach mankind. I believe it is actually in the age of grace because it's God's grace reaching out to man one more time. Listen, don't misunderstand the tribulation. This is not uh, mankind paying for their sins. It is not. That's eternity. You, You leave this place without Jesus Christ, you will pay for your sins in eternity. You will not pay for them on earth. The wrath of God being poured out on the world in those last seven years is God trying to reach man, trying to shake the world so that people know that he exists. That's the point. It is grace. I remember reading the the book of Revelation the first time and I thought, dang, dude, God is so mean, (laughs) having no understanding. And I read it again, and then I read it again, and I read it again, and I am arrived at this conclusion that God is so gracious, incredibly gracious, that he gives us chance after chance after chance. Not only will he, you know, he he will come down and he he will rain down, uh, you know, wrath upon the world to reveal himself, but then that ushers in what's called the age of the millennial kingdom, where, which, which starts at the age of grace, I believe, ends at the second coming of Christ, which ushers in the age of the millennial kingdom where Jesus will reign and rule on this earth for a thousand years. Here's the amazing thing about that. If you've read the book of Revelation, you know at the end of a thousand years, the entire world rises back up against Jesus. Now, if I'm God and I know everything, I ain't doing that. I'd be done with that. I'd be saying, you know what, here's your chance, this is it. How gracious is he? So incredibly gracious. He loves us. And there are people in his thoughts that do not exist today, that have not been born yet, that will be born, that he has thought about and he has a plan for. And so those people, you know, he, he has to continue on with his plan because he loves us and that's why he does it. But you have these seven ages of you know, dispensations or periods of time where God is deploying his plan of redemption all the way through. We are presently in the last days, which is the age of grace or the church age. That's what 
um, that the last days refer to. The, the most commentators believe that it's the period of time established that, where the church was established. That is the last, last days that he was speaking of here in our chapter this morning. The disciples, uh, they believed wholeheartedly that they were in the last days. In fact, you know, it was Peter who, uh, when, he, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost that stood before the people in Jerusalem, and he quotes Joel chapter 2, and he says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he said, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Why did he say that? Because God had just poured out his spirit on them, and that's why they're having this conversation with these people. Peter believed that he was in the last days. Uh, you know, Paul in 1 Timothy 4 tells Timothy, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter time some will depart the faith. And then he goes on to talk about the people departing the faith. He understands that they are in the last days. Not only this, but according to Peter, we know that he says, you know, in the last days, scoffers will come and they will say, where is Jesus? Like people have been saying this for years. Do you not hear that today? You hear that? Like with, even in the church we hear that. Where, where's Jesus at? He's been saying that he's coming back for years. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, for ever since the fa fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. He's not coming, is what they're saying. People are saying that today. We know that we are in the last days, but there are tons of signs that we can look to. God is so faithful to like reveal to us the day and the age that we live. In fact, and Jesus said, you know, if, you, if you're looking for me to come, Matthew 24, here's some things that you can look for. And he tells us these things. Not because he wants us to seek after signs and wonders, but because he wants us to be on mission, understanding that time is short. It's a motivating factor. He wants us to understand these things so that we can go about our, about our Father's business and do the work of the ministry that he's called us to. These guys fully believe that they were in the last days. My question is, do you? Do you believe this morning in your heart of hearts that you're in the last days? If you don't, I pray by the end of this that you will. Because the Apostle Paul gives us some characteristics that we can look for, and I'm telling you, we see these everywhere. Uh, we see these everywhere. And maybe you're going to be shocked at this is not just humanity being played out, and I'll explain why in, in just a moment. Paul says the first characteristic that we can look for is the difficulty it will be in the last days for Christians, the difficulty that it will be. He says in verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Paul is telling Timothy, understand this. Don't be surprised when this happens. Comprehend what I'm saying. Perceive the words that are coming out of my mouth, Timothy. Understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That word difficulty, you can circle that in your Bible and right off to the side of it, you can write the word savage or you can write the word fierce or violent 
or distressful. That's what it means. It's not a normal word. And in fact, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. And Jesus used it in association with the two demiac-possessed um, dudes in the, the Gad, in, in the land of Gad, the Gadareans. And he said they were fierce, or literally, same Greek word, difficult. I'm going to suggest to you something that maybe you, you already know, but, but we don't think about and we don't really talk about either, is that the last days, there will be a demonic influence upon the world like you've never seen before, never seen before. Difficulty. The last days will be filled with demonically influenced difficulty. This is what I believe that he's saying. Oh, come on, Pastor Tim, that's crazy talk. No, it's biblical talk. We don't talk about demon possession. We don't talk about, you know, amongst our friends. It's not like we, we, we pull up a chair at a, the coffee shop and we say, let's talk about demon possession, you know. We don't talk about those things oftentimes because we're scared and we don't, because we don't understand the spiritual realm. We don't, we, we don't understand that we have a four by four. If we're in Christ, we have a four by four in our back pocket, a first John four by four. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so we're afraid of the demonic realm. Why do I say that? Because I was there. I know that. And in fact, it, it is so bizarre what you will do in your walk being afraid of the demonic realm. I was so deceived at one point in my very beginning of my walk with the Lord that I thought if I just left a little sin in my life that the devil would be okay with me. Is that crazy? Like I, I, didn't under, I understood that there was a demonic realm and that all that stuff was going on. Where did I come up with that idea? From Satan. From the enemy. That's where. And as I learned the Bible and understood more about what the Word of God says, I said, hold on a second. That's not right. God doesn't want me to live like that. He set me free. He doesn't want me to live in sin. He wants me to be set free from sin. That's a lie. And it's, it's the fear that's keeping me in this place. So a lot of us are afraid to talk about it. And the reality is that the last days will be filled with demonic influence upon people. And you'll see it. And in fact, Christians, if we have our spiritual lens on, we will see it everywhere. And in fact, Paul goes on in the very end of this, these verses in verse 9 there, he goes um, that, that they won't get very far. Why? Because when believers are still in the world and we have our spiritual lens on, we see what's happening. And in fact, I, I don't know if you really have had your spiritual lens on in the whole last year through the election, the politics, all the stuff that's going on in the world today, demon-possessed people influencing, there's deception, all of that demonically influenced. Well, you're getting a little crazy here. Folks, I'm telling you. You, you want to know how crazy I'm getting? This morning, I'm studying for this, just going over my notes and reviewing these things, and I'm thinking about, you know, communicating, and I'm at this part where I'm talking about, um, you know, Satan and, and what he's doing in this world today. And it's 6 a.m. at my house. Nobody's up but me. The TV turns on by itself. And I'm like, that's strange. Somebody must be up. They must be on their phone with an app. 
you know, and, the, and it's connected to the TV. That's what's happening. I go to every single one of my kids' rooms. They're crashed, completely asleep. Not only did my TV turn on, that's, that's strange. I sat there in my living room and watched, uh, you know, I, I believe a demonic presence scrolling through my Apple TV, through apps. I was like, told my wife this morning, hey, I, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. This is what happened this morning. She's like, whoa, that is crazy. Why does that shock us? Do we not think this exists? Do we not think that there's a demonic presence in our world? Do you think that there's no demons in this place right now? You think that they're barred by these four walls? Listen, I'm telling you, Satan has joined the church and he, he has minions are in the church, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Folks, wake up. This is real. Satan is real. The demonic presence is real. The last days will be full of difficulties. Why? Because the demonic realm understands that time is short for them, and they understand, and, and there's going to be an increase of demonic influence, and the days will become evil. Like the days of Noah, Jesus said. Listen, folks, it's real. And Paul is telling Timothy, you need to be aware of this. You need to understand this. He tells us that, that there will come times of difficulty. Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle that we're battling right now on the horizontal is not flesh and blood. It is spiritual. If you want to be successful in that battle, you have to battle in the spiritual realm. You have to, it's not something, in fact, we can really battle. We have to totally depend on the Lord. We have to acknowledge what's happening and then we have to proclaim truth over it. Satan is the great deceiver. And so you can be sure that this, the last days will be full of deceit. And by the way, I don't know if you know that, you know, all of the, all of the social issues, all the things that are happening in our day, all, all of this is deceit from the enemy. You, you don't think that uh, homosexuality is is, is it a perversion of man? It is, but it's a deceit from the devil. That what he does is he makes, he, he's targeting God's design, folks. It's a war against God and his design. And he utilizes sinful passions of men and women to, to entice them, but he deceives them and tells them, no, no, it's okay, You're, you were born that way. And, and these kinds of things. It is in fact, these kinds of things that the enemy is doing in the world today. And I have incredible empathy for people that are deceived because they are deceived. You know, they're deceived. And, and not only that issue, but there's so many issues that we're dealing with today. It's a matter of deception. And, you know, people are just caught up in it. We are battling the uh, since day one, we've been battling the demonic realm, folks. In the Garden of Eden, it started. Satan tempting Eve. 
and the fall of mankind happened, and that's continued on day one. And Satan has actually, you know, been at work in the hearts of politicians and all kinds of people from the beginning. You, you think that when Jesus was born and Herod was looking to kill him, that that wasn't demonic? You don't think that uh, when Nero started lighting Christians on fire, that wasn't demonic? You don't think that when Domitian came against the church, that wasn't demonic? Do you want me to go on? We want to talk about Hitler. We want to talk about all these political rulers that are demonically influenced, and that's why these things are happening? Utilizing the sinfulness of man, of course. It's demonic. Days of difficulty will come. This, listen, in fact, the Lord said something to Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, when he had the vision of these four beasts, and Daniel was really honed in on, this, on the fourth beast, but it wasn't for him to really understand because it was speaking about the end days. But listen to what, it's, what, what, um, what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. Here's what he said. As I looked, this horn, he's speaking about the Antichrist raising up, coming out of the beast, same beast spoken of in Revelation, but he says, as I look, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Verse 22, until the day, the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Do you know what that's saying? God told Daniel that Satan is going to increasingly come against war against the saints of God and he will overcome them. Wait a second, don't we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony? You do. You do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you live. And that's what we misunderstand. Here's the reality. Satan will rise up work through the Antichrist. By the way, John says the Antichrist already exists. He's in the world, and he's at work. The spirit of Antichrist is already at work. It's always been at work. So although the Antichrist is, uh, you know, a person that will be, I believe, fully possessed by Satan himself in the last seven years of the world's existence before Christ comes back, but he exists now. And he's at work in the world now. And we don't look for the Antichrist because we know he's already here. We, we, we see the evidences of it in the persecutions that are happening. But listen what it said. Until the ancients of days shows up, until Christ comes back, that will be what it's going to be like. He is waging war against you. Are you going to sit on the sidelines or are you going to battle? That's the question. This is what Paul is telling Timothy in, 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 these, in these conversations he's having about the last days will be full of difficulty, demonic difficulty. Not only that, but we will see the sinfulness of man as a result manifest itself in ways that, that we probably have never really seen before. And in fact, verse 2 says, for people will be self-lovers. They'll be lovers, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In the last days, there, mankind will have such 
a love for itself, it will manifest itself in such a way that it will be so obvious, so obvious. Now, I think, I think, I think that you think that what I'm saying is that's what the world's going to look like. But in fact, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that's what the church is going to look like. He's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about people who have a form of godliness and deny its power. He's talking about people who go to church every day, who do these kind of things. They are going to be these kind of people, lovers of self, lovers of money. Paul is referring to people who are in the church but not of the church. These are fake believers, fake believers. And I'm telling you, churches are filled with fake believers. And why are they fake believers? Because they're deceived. It's a deception of thinking that I have something that I do not have. But you know what? God is a revealer, and he reveals things to us. He wants us to understand where we are with him. You know, he wants us to understand. And in fact, Jesus said in so many different places in the scriptures, if you don't keep my commandments, you're not of me. It can't get any more plainer than that. Now, he doesn't mean per perfectly, but here's the thing. If you love yourself more than Jesus, Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. He said, if you love your mother, your father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your kids more than you love Jesus, you're not worthy of him. What, what is he saying? He's saying, if he's not the center of your life, you're not a believer. If he is not the the sole king, the Lord of your life, then you're deceived. And, and, and I don't mean that in, 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 in a, you know, in a, in a I got caught up in sin kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who has never been converted. They, they prayed a prayer, but their life never changed. Nothing was different. Everything was the same. And in fact, uh, you know, you read this listening, you're like, lover of self. Check. Lover of money, check. Proud, I'm the humblest person I know, check. <laughs> you know what I mean? If this list is resonating with you, you might want to think about that this morning. Because what the Lord is saying, man, is, is we're, we're, we're in the last days. There's going to be incredible deception upon the church like never before, and people are going to be lovers of self and that's going to manifest itself and i'm telling you it's here it exists in 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 the church at large it, it is it is in it all not just in the american church it is in the, the church at large everywhere satan has joined the church folks these are the kind of people that don't love god they love themselves they're not here for god they're they're here for themselves it's the kind of person that comes to church because church makes them feel good. Because it's about them and not about God. It's not about me wanting to know more about God so I can become more like Christ. It's about me feeling good that I've done something for God. You know, and, and here's the thing. When you go to church and you worship God, you do feel good. But that doesn't mean you're a believer. You know, his presence is awesome. His people are awesome. When you get around and you rub elbows with that kind of stuff and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. I love this. This is so cool. I want to go back because I like it the way it makes me feel. 
If, if that's the reason you come, then that's not the right reason. I come here because he's king of kings and lord of lords, and I want to give him worship with, with his people. And because of that, I get something out of it, but I don't come because I do get something out of it. In other words, we should come no matter how we feel. And then we have the, yeah, I don't really like the sermon today. I don't really like that worship song. Dude, can you guys do that in a different key? It doesn't really fit my voice. And I need people to hear me, you know, so could you maybe drop that down a half step for me? Lovers of self. Because people are lovers in the self, they'll be lovers of money because money fuels self. I don't care about God's kingdom. I don't care about the kingdom of God and the work of God. I care about my kingdom, what my house looks like, not his house. I don't care about him. I care about me. I'm a lover of money, proud and arrogant and abusive, considering yourself better than others, superior in status, and thus you abuse people as a result because you're so good. <laughs> Disobedient to parents? Are you kidding me? He's not talking about outside the church, folks. He's talking about inside the church. And here's what you need to know as a parent. There is a demonic influence happening <laughs> whether you like it or not, in your kids' lives. It's happening. You can't stop it. You, what you can do is give them the truth. You can help them understand, uh, you know, that Jesus is the one we run to. He's the answer. We live according to what he says, not the thoughts in our brain. And we give them the tools to fight the spiritual battle. But it says here that those who are unregenerated are going to be disobedient to their parents. They're going to uh, disregard everything their parents have to say. Do you know that this is also a satanic um, attack on authority, actually? Why is he targeting kids? Because what he's doing is he's changing the culture by creating a perverted view of authority and he starts in the home and he breaks down the authority in the home that is God-given. God is the author of all authority and if your kids don't have any respect in your home for the authority that God has given you, you think they're going to have any respect for any authority at all? They won't. Why is he doing this? Why is the enemy doing this? Because it's a war on authority. Kids are going to be disobedient to their parents. And I'm not talking about throwing a temper tantrum or making mistakes. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a rebellious, um, you know, purposeful disobedience that is basically, you know, giving you the middle finger, basically is what he's saying. He doesn't, doesn't care about authority at all. That's what he's talking about. We see it clear, man. He's talking about people will be ungrateful, have no gratitude. Man, I came to be served, not to serve. Who's in my seat? What are you doing in there? This is my place. Ungrateful, unholy, not reverent towards God at all. And in fact, I, I do think if there's one thing that the entire church at large could grow in, it's the reverence of God the reverence of God. I think that we are so casual a lot of times and not even thinking about it. 
got our cup of coffee, our hand in our pocket, we're singing songs to Jesus, you know, we're like, you know, so casual, and, and we're thinking, I'm in the holy of holies before the God Almighty right now. I've been ushered into the throne room of God, and here I am. I don't know if I like this beat. You know what I mean? Hey, listen, your worship to him is your worship. But I'm just saying we can be incredibly casual, but we can still be really reverent. So it's a hard issue. He goes on here and he says they, they'll be heartless. You know what this word means? Without family love. Without family love. If you don't have love for your family, you're not going to love anybody. If you don't have a love for those who love you, you're not going to love anybody. This literally means the natural love that one would have for another, a child would have with a parent, a spouse would have with a spouse. It's this kind of love that he's talking about. And if you don't have that, you're not going to love anybody. So they're heartless, unpeaceable, refuse to reconcile with others. The greatest sin in the New Testament church is people's refusal. Refusal. This is full rebellion to reconcile with one another. That is of the enemy. Listen, guys, if, if somebody's offended you, go talk to them. Deal with these things. You know, the Lord wants us to be unified. You can't be unified if you have something against somebody. And if you can't get over it, then you probably need to find another place to fellowship or, or find another group of friends because you're affecting what's happening there. You have to be unified. And you know what? The answer, to be honest with you, is not to run away. The answer is to do what Jesus said. He's big enough, I promise you, to help you get over it. He's big enough to, to give you the ability to forgive when forgiveness needs to be given. So, yeah, I just want to encourage you, man. Reconcile with one another. They're, people are going to be slanderous. This, liter, this word in the, in the Greek is diablos. You know what that means? Devil. They will be devilishly gossipers. Tearing down people and causing division. They'll be without self-control. Literally overdoing everything. No self-control whatsoever they'll be brutal savage towards one another not loving good they'll embrace everything that's evil and hate what's good treacherous they won't keep commitments to anyone or anything they'll be reckless do whatever they want without consideration of anyone else swollen with conceit having a much higher view of themselves than they ought and finally they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in the church. They will seek what pleases themselves and not what pleases God. This is what many in the church in the last days will look like. And again, I think that this is what the church at large, um, there's many churches that look like this in this, in this culture. Not only this, people will be self-lovers, but people will also be religiously relationshipless. Look at verse 5 having the appearance of godliness, but deny its power, avoid such people. 
Living in the last days will be evident when people proclaim themselves as spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. You know, well, what does that mean? Are you in a relationship with Jesus or not? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Well, I'm spiritual. I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I believe the universe that we're all one and we're all going to heaven. I'm like, dude, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says something totally different. Either you're completely wrong or I'm completely wrong. And I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Why? Because I have this right here. What are you using? I don't, I don't see, I mean, did you write this or these are your thoughts or where does this come from? You know, some chakra somewhere in India that basically says this new age stuff or what? Where, where is this coming from? No source of truth at all. This is what I think because I'm super spiritual. I think I'm one with God. We're all God's children. Sadly to say, we are not. We are all God's creation. But you got to be in relationship with God to be his child because when you're his child, there's an inheritance that comes with that. You can't have an inheritance if you don't got Jesus. That means you can't go to heaven. Listen, folks, he did it all for you, but he expects you to acknowledge what he's done and not just term yourself as spiritual. Listen, there are churches full of people that are spiritual. There are pulpits full of leaders who are spiritual, who have a form of godliness but deny its power. There are churches that, how, how can you tell whether these, what kind of people these are and what kind of church this is? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And we'll see here in a moment, you'll definitely know by what they believe. You know, you look at the world today and you see there's all kinds of churches that embrace abominations before the Lord. They don't, they, they embrace homosexuality. It's okay to do that, you know, and they embrace that. It's okay to, um, to not really believe, we don't really believe the Bible's the infallible word of God. It's a great resource though. We just, we believe that, you know, it's, it's good enough to read, but the word of God, come on, I, we don't really, there's churches that, that believe that. There's churches that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was both God and man at the same time. There are churches that basically, um, you know, discount all of the foundational truths of Christianity, but they call themselves Christian. You can call yourself whatever you want, but the reality of it is the proof is in the pudding. Your walk tells the story of what you really believe. And, and whether you are in true relationship with God or you're just super religious. And that's why I have such a problem when people say, you're, you're, you're really religious, right? And I'm like, not at all. There's not a religious bone in my body. And, and the reason why I say that is because of what it means in our culture. The word religion is just a word that defines a belief system. But to say you're religious actually really means that you're a rule keeper and that you know you associate with God by what you do and you know all these kinds of things that's totally not the kind of relation that's not what I'm doing at all I'm in a relationship with God that's totally different that's not religion and um, people in, our, in these last days will have a form of godliness they'll go to church they'll do these things but they will never change they will deny its power there's power in the word of God to change people's lives. There's power in the gospel. That's why Paul said in, in Romans chapter one, 
verses 16, he said, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. The power of God. But people deny that power by denying Jesus, by be not denying the truth of his word. So what are we supposed to do? Avoid such people. Whoa. Aren't we supposed to like get along with everybody? Sing kumbaya, get a guitar around the fire and all that? Uh-uh. You know why? Because it will rub off on you. Before you know it, you, listen, you can be super sound. You can be, you can be such a student of the word and you can be totally deceived in just a matter of time if you hang out with the wrong people. Totally deceived. There's so much confusion in the world today. I promise you, the devil is way smarter than you are. I promise you, I don't care how smart you are. He's way smarter than you are. He has dealt with a gazillion people just like you. He knows exactly how to draw you away from the Lord. He knows what to say, and he knows how to corner you. You know that? Some of you guys don't have conversations with people because you're afraid you're going to get cornered, and it's going to reveal what you don't know. And then you're going to start to question what you don't know. And, and I would say this, study to show yourself approved. You need to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you need to know the Word of God. You need to get in the Word, you know. But here's the thing is, you're never going to know it well enough to never get backed into a corner. I don't care who you are. I've got, I get backed up in corners sometimes. And I'm like, and you know what? I'm comfortable with where I am spiritually at this point to say, you know what? I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Let me think about that. There's times where I've been wrong, where I thought, well, I mean, the scripture says this and this and this. Yeah, but you know what? It says this, and I have to be accountable to the scripture. You know what? You're right. Oh, I didn't see that before. Thanks for revealing that to me. You know, if you think that you know it all, <laughs> the devil's got you right where he wants you, man. You don't. That's why we got to continue to study, but we also don't fear having conversations with people and, and dealing with people. Um, and, and we also don't, we also don't avoid people for the sake of, you know, because they're not, uh, you know, worthy of our conversation. I think when he says avoid such, you're, you're not to have fellowship with people like this who don't, who don't ascribe to foundational truths of the scripture. Not, I'm not talking about secondary issues. That's a total different subject. I'm talking about foundational truths salvation issues of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I believe as long as you're a good person, you can go to heaven. Are you sure? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. No, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe it. Okay, and then you have conversation with this person over and over and over again, and they're not moving something. I, I, they're not moving at all. I think, you know, you know what? I'm going to continue to minister to this person, but I'm not having fellowship with this person. I'm going to declare the truth to them, but I'm not going to have fellowship with them. Avoid such people. And Timothy, they, they certainly, you've got to think about this. In their day and age, people coming in and out of the church, kind of like it is today, I guess, but uh, people coming in and out of the church with all kinds of ideas and thoughts, you have to know who to hang out with and who not to hang out with. And so this is a command from Paul to the church, to the churches in Ephesus saying, do not hang out with people like this. Avoid such people. 
Not only will people be self-lovers and religiously relationshipless, but they will also be predators of the weak. Look at verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And um, it says, Paul says, from among them. He's talking about those who are in the church, from among them, um, you know, those who look like this, who are lovers of themselves and all of that. Uh, you, you need to, they're going to creep into households. They're going to be predators that will creep into the household and, and capture weak women burdened with sins. And they're going to lead them in their, astray in their various passions. There are wolves in the church. That's why I said the, the enemy has joined the church, you know. And I promise you he doesn't look like the enemy. He doesn't look like him. Judas didn't look like this evil little beady-eyed, you know, enemy. They, when Jesus said, one of you guys would betray me, they didn't know it was him. They were wondering if it was them. Is it me? He, he, he joins the church. And he looks to prey upon people particularly people who are weak, particularly women who are weak, that he might have his way with them. And this is what predators do. They, they, they come in and they, they kind of observe and they look and they, they, just like a wolf would, looking for the weakest point and they will target that weakest point and they will capture that person. They'll draw them off to their side and then they will have their way with them. That's what a wolf does. That's what a predator does. And there are those in the church like this and it's so sad when you see this, this is demonic influence to the 10th degree. When you have predators in the church that take advantage of kids or take advantage of women, and it happens, and it's so sad, and it's so, you know, I mean, it, it is just disgusting that this happens. Part of the issue is, when Paul's talking about this, that these women never, ever come to the truth either. They're weak, and they stay weak. They, they try and attain the truth, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. They just stay right where they are, and so they're prey. And, uh, you know, there, there's, this has happened over and over again, and I think probably, um, you know, the greatest example that we have in this culture is what just happened with Rabbi Zechariah. You know, the guy preyed upon weak women. He literally prayed with these women before he had sex with them, thanking God that it was their that he gave them this opportunity to be together and all these kinds of things. And, you know, you, it, it's just, you, you never would have thought that. I never would have thought that. But that's reality. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, there's tons of people talking about where Rabbi Zachariah is going. Is he in hell or all these kind of things? Dude, I'm not even having that conversation. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is Satan is real and that he doesn't look like we think he looks, that he joins the church and he lures weak people away. And what I know is he does, that, the, the thing that happened with Rabbi Zachariah is right up Satan's alley. That's what I know. That's exactly what he does. He is so deceptive in, in, in these things. What's his fate? I don't know. I don't know. I pray to God that he's in heaven. I pray that he repented of those things. But I don't know. There'll be people that will prey upon the weak, and not only that, they will be opposers of truth. Look at verse 8. Just as Janies and Jambres oppose Moses, so will 
So these men will oppose the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You might recall Janies and Jamborees from the, uh, the magicians in Egypt who were able to perform some of the same things that Moses did. They couldn't do everything, but they could do some of it. And again, these are demonically influenced uh, people who Satan is using to do all kinds of miraculous things. That's why we don't follow signs and wonders. We don't follow signs and wonders because Satan can produce signs and wonders. And dude, Satan can, can wow you big time and making you think, and he can do a lot of good things even. We don't follow signs and wonders. You know, we, 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 we notice them and we take note of them, but we don't, we don't follow after those things because the enemy can utilize those things. He's also a great illusionist, making us see things that aren't really true. And, uh, you know, the, the, those, uh, he, Paul brings up Janies and Jambres because that's, they literally were opposed to Moses. They were opposed to the truth of God. Moses represented the law of God, the truth of God, and Janies and Jambres represented Satan. And they opposed the truth. Satan opposes the truth. How do you know what kind of person that you're hanging out with? What do they think about the truth? What do they think about the word of God? Are they opposers of the word of God? I say don't hang out with those people. Um, opposers of the word of God in terms of, you know, actively opposing what God says. The Spirit makes it clear through Paul here, they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all. God exposes falsehood, period. Even your own falsehood. God will not allow us to live in falsehood. He wants us to be aware of reality and exactly where we sit. He wants us to understand these things. I love that about God, that he's, he doesn't go along with my deceptions, but he's a revealer of truth. And he reveals the truth in every situation, always. And if we pay close attention, we can see it and we can avoid things. And, you know, the Lord can help us to avoid certain pains in our life that would, would come as a result of us not listening to his spirit. Listen to his spirit. Follow what he says. Paul's telling Timothy here, you're, you're in the last days, Timothy. So beware. Look around. Times are tough. There's demonic attack upon anything that looks like God. He's telling Timothy that. I think we should probably pay attention even closer. Times are difficult. Many in the church are self-lovers, religiously relationshipless, predators of the weak, opposers of the truth. The signs are there. We can see those things. Paul says, why are you surprised? You should expect this. But here's the thing. Don't grow weary in doing good. Jesus said, don't pull the tares out with the wheat because you don't know who they are. But you can see some of the fruit of those people and then you just avoid those people. Don't pull the tares out from the wheat. You let the Lord be the Lord of his church. You let him do what he's going to do. Um, you know, but be careful about who you're associating with. And understand, because the enemy has, has joined the church. Fight the good fight. Continue on. And, uh, you know, the Lord is going to come back soon. And when he comes, 
all this will be over. In the meantime, pay attention and understand the days that we're living, folks. The time is short, and uh, it's time for God's church, and we've been saying this, and people have been saying this over and over again, it's time for the church to stand up. It's time for the church not to rebel against governing authorities or anything like that. It's time for the church to do what we're supposed to do in the first place and share the gospel with people. It's time for the church not to be so self-absorbed and, uh, you know, trying to live in the world, uh, be of the world and be of the church at the same time. Make a choice. Don't be lukewarm. Get on fire for the Lord and do what he's calling you to do because the days are short. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you help us this morning to recognize all that you've said in the days in which we live. And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us to uh, spur us on to good works through this message this morning. We ask you, Lord, to uh, just draw every heart to yourself this morning as we prepare ourselves for communion. This is a holy moment, Lord, where we recognize what your son Jesus Christ has done for us, where we believe that the body was broken for us and that the blood was shed on our account that our sins could be forgiven. And we pray for every person here this morning, Lord, that, that they're in right relationship with you. If not, we have a moment to repent. And repentance takes literally a moment. It's a decision to turn away from my sin and turn to you. Will you help us if we're in that place of a need of repentance this morning, God? Will you give us that understanding? Give us that word. We also know that communion is for believers. It's for people who have confessed and professed Jesus is Lord and uh, we pray this morning if there's anyone here this, that's not in right relationship with you never come to Christ Lord your word tells us not to take communion if we aren't in Christ but the beauty of it is we can be in Christ in a split second by simply again confessing our sin and returning away from it turning to Jesus who was crucified on a cross and died and rose again from the dead. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And all we have to do is invite Jesus in to be the Lord of our life. And if that's you this morning, you do that right now before you take communion. You do not want to take this if you're not a believer. So become a believer right now. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I come. I turn away from my sin, Lord. All the things that I even do that I don't know or sin, will you forgive me of? God, change my life this morning. I don't want to be the same person. And I thank you that you will do that. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, personally. I believe that he rose again from the dead for me, personally. And I'm making him the Lord of my life this morning your way in me, Lord. I'm yours. Do whatever it is that you want to do with me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.